The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us. But he answered one of them, Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? I am not being unfair to you, friend. Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be the first, and the first will be the last. All right, uh, this is a series of conversations called Jesus Unfiltered, and y'all have a study guide that uh, has the story that uh, the video just told. It's called The Parable of the uh, Vineyard Workers, one of my favorite of Jesus' 37 parables, um, but one of the, I think, least known, uh, ironically. So uh, teaches a very important lesson for us today um, that we're going to talk about uh, in a minute. I think the reason this series uh, matters uh, is because we're going straight to the source of Jesus's material. We're going straight to his own words and to his own stories. And that matters for a couple of different reasons. First of all, we're always talking about how important it is to follow Jesus, but we don't talk as much about what Jesus actually believed and what he said and what he taught. And so what it would mean to follow him kind of hinges on that question of what Jesus actually believed and taught and said. Um, so that's important. The other maybe more important thing for some of you is there are many people, some of you are sitting in this room, um, or some of the some people that believe this are, are just people that y'all know and, and care about, who say that they're just done with Christianity, that they disagree fundamentally with what they know of Christianity, or with what you know of Christians, and you have some very good reasons. Many people have very good reasons for disagreeing with Christianity, but the shocking thing that happens is when you bypass Christianity as a religion and you go straight to the source material, what you find oftentimes is that you have more in common with Jesus than you thought. Because Christians don't always speak for Jesus. Religion doesn't always tell the whole story. And you have to go straight to the source to see what Jesus really said. And then you make your decision based on that. Uh, last week, we talked about some famous stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And, and I left it a little uh, incomplete, ran out of time. And I, I can't just leave this on the table. There's an ending to the prodigal son story that even if you weren't here, you know the story of the prodigal son. Even non-Christians, non-religious people know, know the story. But there's, a, there's another brother 
at the end of the story. So you've got the younger brother that takes the inheritance, and he says, Dad, you're dead to me. And then he goes, and he's an idiot. He lives like a fool. For, uh, for, for a short amount of time, he blows everything that he had on loose living, on parties and women. And he comes home, and he has this party thrown for him by his father. His father throws him this extravagant party in his honor. And then there's this other brother, the older brother. I can't believe it. Because the older brother's been there all along, working for dad, always faithful, always there. This older brother has never gotten a party. And the, this idiot brother of his comes home, and his dad's like, it's like, let's kill the best fatted calf we have and open the best bottles of wine because this lost son of mine is home. The older brother's like, no, this lost son of yours, he's an idiot. He blew his inheritance, your money, Dad, and you're throwing him a party. I deserve the party, he says. He feels entitled to better treatment than the younger brother gets because he has earned it. He has been with his father, working for his father faithfully without ever betraying him like that younger brother had. But listen, it's his entitlement that keeps him from enjoying the party his father has thrown. It's his entitlement that keeps him from being grateful for what he's had all along. And he misses out on that joy. Now, this should get our attention, this lesson about entitlement. Because has there ever been a more entitled moment in, Christian, in, in human history? Has there ever been a, a more entitled group of people than we are? We are living in the age of entitlement. And every millennial in the room is going, oh, my God, I've heard this so many times. I am so sick. <laughs> He's going to talk about millennials. And I know, blah, blah, blah. Like millennials, the most entitled generation ever. Like everybody says it. I don't actually buy that. I don't really believe that to be true, millennials. So just take it easy. I'm almost a millennial. I barely missed the mark. But I feel your resentment about that label. And I think if you put all the data on the table, think the baby boomers would give you a run for your money when it comes to a sense of entitlement. I'm just going to leave that there because some of the baby boomers are some of our biggest givers here at the story. So, but trust me when I tell you, I could lay it all out there and convince you of this. And I am right there in the middle, Gen X forever. Any Gen Xers in the house? All right, what Gen Xers do, we just sit right between those two groups of entitled people and judge them equally. <laughs> so we, we look at millennials, and we're like, you guys are just boomers with Snapchat. And we look at boomers, and we're like, you guys raised the millennials. You know, like, so we just sit there all self-righteous in our flannel listening to Nirvana and uh, <laughs> passing judgment. We're all entitled. Let's be clear. We're all deeply entitled to the extent that it is our default now. It is our norm. And so we don't even see it happening. And it does stuff to us that we don't even know. We just think it's the way life is. We think it's the way life works. That sense of entitlement has become our default setting. I think there's a formula for how we got there. The formula for how entitlement issues set in is abundant comfort plus a lack of gratitude divided by Humility, specifically the kind of humility that one has when one believes in a creator, a source of all good things. Now, what I didn't include in this formula that I should have is if you take the sum of that equation and if you 
multiply it by the power of X. X being the number of times you check Instagram and Facebook to see how good everybody else has it. Compared to you, that's how you get the real formula for entitlement issues that many of us struggle with today. Now, truth is, we have been so comfortable through no doing of our own. We've been so comfortable from day one in our lives. We just think that's how it works. We've been so incredibly luxurious in our living for so long that we're soft now. And we're spoiled. And we think people have always had it this way. And if we didn't have it this way, something would be wrong. We should look for someone to blame. If we had a government, we could blame them. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, uh, we have all these luxuries, all these basics, we call them. The stuff we call basic is the stuff everyone else who's ever lived on planet Earth would call miracles. Like you turn a faucet handle and clean, safe water comes out. If you realize, like, for most of our history, the number one killer of humans has been water, drinking water that killed you. It was so dirty. And we turn a faucet and water comes out as much as you want. And you barely have to pay for it. And you didn't dig a well. None of us has ever dug a well to find a source of water. And then it's mealtime. And, you know, we eat meat that we didn't have to kill or clean. It's just there at HEV for $3.99 a pound. It's a miracle. Everybody else that's ever lived would say it's a miracle. And we complain. $3.99. You know what I mean? Like, we complain about the fresh fruits and vegetables that we get to eat without ever picking them harvesting them or you know, growing them. Uh, I'm afraid I would die if I had to grow my, or kill my own food, right? And so we complain when it doesn't look right or it's not the right price. And after we've eaten, of course, as everyone does, we evacuate our bowels. And when we evacuate our bowels, we push a little button. And all our crap just goes away. It just, we don't have to deal with our with our, our crap, right? So, like, you realize we're like the first ones, pretty much, in the scope of human history, the first ones to have a button that just takes it away. You don't have to think about it. Everyone else who's ever lived has to go, I wonder what we should do with this stuff. <laughs> we should probably take care of it because it seems like people that live around it die sooner than the rest of us. You know, I just push a button. It's a miracle. It goes, every time you push the button, you should go, oh, my God. I don't have to deal with it. We don't. We don't. We, we think that's just the way it should work because we deserve it. It never occurs to us how lucky we really are and how not long ago people everywhere had to deal with their own stuff. But we live in a different time, which should make us very grateful people. That should be the effect, logically speaking. Right? Like, my best man in my wedding is from, uh, it's now called the Republic of Congo. It used to be called Zaire. He still calls it Zaire. If he hears you call it the Republic of Congo, you don't want to incur that wrath from him, I'm telling you. But I once said to him, I said, Kalend, like, what can Americans do? What can I do to make life better for people in your country? And he goes, Eric, it's easy. Just be happier. You know, like, just be happier. He said, I came over here and everybody has Everything they ever need and more. And all they ever do is complain about it. 
He said, that's the insult to me and my people. Like, y'all just complain about having the best life. G.K. Chesterton once said, uh, the worst moment for the atheist is when he's really thankful and has no one to thank. And I think that's true. But I think it goes beyond atheism. I think it actually is also true for bad theism, misguided theism. Like when we just believe in God, but we just get God wrong. Like we're not really sure what we're talking about when we say God. So like uh, in the census data, it said only 10 to 10% uh, of Americans, 12% of Houstonians actually don't believe that God exists. It's a pretty small minority, but it gets really sticky from there. Like the stuff we actually believe about God when we believe in God, I don't know. It's just as confusing as atheism is when we have someone to think, right? We have no one to think. So it says 28% uh, of Americans believe everyone and everything is God which has got to be confusing when you feel a sense of gratitude. Like, who do you think? Everyone and everything? 28% of us. 37% of us believe that God is simply a higher state of human consciousness that people can choose to achieve. So I guess you have to wait to think yourself once you achieve that state of being. I, I, don't, I don't know. It's confusing. A whopping 45% of Americans believe in capital N nature as God or a form of God, which leads to all kinds of, you know, tree-hugging and, and uh, river-thinking, I guess. I don't know, but it's got to be confusing when you have someone to thank and we have so much to be grateful for and no one to thank. It's kind of uh, confusion about God. It's not just atheism. It's really in all of us. It, go, it can be as simple as growing up in a church where they tell you that God is Santa Claus. He's at your beck and call, right? And when something goes wrong, he should fix it. And if you're being good enough, he'll fix it. Those kinds of bad, wrong-headed thoughts about God uh, also leave us confused when we feel a, a natural sense of gratitude. And I think that's what leads us to be uh, entitled. Jesus tackles this. Uh, I think it's amazing that he tackles this, this, this deal of entitlement. 2,000 years ago, he tackled it. And it's more relevant today than it's ever been before. Talk about shelf life. 2,000 years later. His teachings are more relevant now than they've ever been. He tells a story about a vineyard and a landowner. And it's in Matthew chapter 20, this landowner, he goes out looking for workers in his vineyard. And he finds five different groups of workers. He says, this landowner goes out into the city to find workers at 6 a.m. in the morning. This is daybreak. This is when the workday began, 6 a.m. And he goes out in the city, which was a normal practice, to find some day laborers. So a lot of the people that were in Jesus' audience would have been day laborers. Jesus himself was a day laborer. He was not a master carpenter. He was not an architecton. He was just a tecton, a, a carpenter, a day laborer, <clears throat> right, a builder. And so there were many, many guys, people that stood out in front of whatever the Home Depot equivalent was in the first century. And the landowners would come and pick them up early in the morning. Now, is there anywhere more, I think, despicable, any worse place to be any time of day, but especially at 6 a.m., than Home Depot? <clears throat> Can anyone name a place? I Ikea is what 940 said. Ikea is, is also up there somewhere, but uh, Home Depot uh, Home Depot's pretty bad. And uh, these guys are hanging out there at 6 o'clock in the morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, this landowner sees them there, and they're like the A-team. You know, they're the ones that get there at 6. 
So they've got their shirts tucked in. They've got their tools. They've got their own tools. This is the guys that you really want um, to come and work for you. These are the guys that uh, are really skilled. They bring a lot of value added. These are the overachievers, <clears throat> capable workers. So he says, hey, I'd like to pay you a day's wage, a denarius, which was a coin, which was a, a fair day's wage for a day's work. To come and work in my vineyard, they say yes. They hop in the back of the truck or whatever the equivalent was of a truck, and they go to the vineyard. <clears throat> and they work uh, in the morning in the vineyard. Three hours later, the vineyard owner realizes he needs more help. And so he goes back out into the city at 9 o'clock in the morning to bring in more workers. Now, the 9 o'clock crew at Home Depot is not as skilled as the 6 o'clock crew, but it's still talent. Like, it's not first-round talent. It's like second-round talent. You know what I'm saying? Like, still serviceable, value-added. And so these guys, uh, these guys hop in the truck. He says, hey, uh, I'll pay you what's right. So he doesn't say denarius. He says, I'll pay you what's right. And they say, okay. We didn't get picked up at 6, so we'll take whatever we can get. <clears throat> and they go to the vineyard. Does the same thing three hours later at noon. And then again at 3 o'clock, he goes back out. And every time he brings workers back, like the quality of worker that he brings back uh, just takes a little bit of a hit. <clears throat> you know, every time uh, he comes back with a truckload of workers, they're just uh, a, little less, uh, a little less skilled than the group before. Five o'clock rolls around. It's an hour before quitting time, five o'clock in the afternoon. And he, the landowner says, I'm going back into the city to get some more workers. And the other workers are like, dude, we're almost done. And, and he's like, no, I need more workers. And so he goes back out to Home Depot at five o'clock in the afternoon to see whoever's left. The five o'clock crew at Home Depot is, <clears throat> it's not the A-team, you know. It's not the cream of the crop. These are the guys no one else wanted. These are the guys that could use a belt, like their pants are way down low. And then these guys, <clears throat> these guys are missing a, a hand or something, you know, or they're cross-eyed or they smell of whiskey. They have very little in the way of uh, skills. He loads them up, says, I'll pay you what's right, and brings them back to the vineyard. 6 p.m. It's quitting time. Y'all excuse me a second. Sorry, I'm fighting something. <clears throat> it ain't easy. <laughs> 6 p.m. is quitting time. And uh, the landowner asks the foreman to line up the workers, but to line them up in reverse order. So to line up group five first. So the 5 p.m. crew stands up first, you know, the rejects, the guys that need a belt and sobriety. He lines them up first. <clears throat> Behind them is the the 3 o'clock crew, and then the nooners, and then the 9 a.m. team, and then the A-listers, the 6 a.m. team that's exhausted from working a 12-hour shift. The foreman thanks the guys uh, who worked at from 5 p.m. to 6 for one hour. He says, thank you very much for your time. Now here is your pay. This is what is right. He gives them each a full day's pay. He gives them each a full denarius. So there's two sets of celebrations that break out in that moment. First is the 5 p.m. crew that can't believe they worked one hour and got a whole day's pay. Nothing like that has ever happened to them. They were the ones nobody wanted. They were the ones that if they worked, they got shafted. And now they're getting more than what they felt like they deserved, more than what they thought they had coming. So they are celebrating having their own little party right there in the vineyard. There's another celebration happening that may be even more exuberant than the first. The other celebration is everybody else in line. Because they're doing the math in their heads. They're thinking, this guy's generous today. 
he's paying a full day's pay for every hour you work here. And the 3 p.m. crew is like, we work three hours, we're going to get three days pay. That's pretty good. We, and the noon crew is like, we worked six hours. This is amazing. And the 9 a.m. crew is even more excited. The 6 a.m. crew has already texted their wives saying, get dressed, baby, we're going out tonight. <clears throat> they are excited. There is a party going on. Until the foreman thanks the 3 p.m. crew in the same way that he thanked the 5 p.m. crew, and he pays them the same amount. There's grumbling, it says in the story. There's grumbling in the crowd of workers. Grumbling. Wait, wait a minute. You get paid the same amount to work three hours that they got paid to work one. If there's grumbling at the 3 o'clock crew, imagine the noon crew. And, and imagine the 9 a.m. crew. But it's the 6 a.m. crew that's really ticked off. We worked 12 hours to their one. And we get the same amount of pay. And they say, in their own way, they say it's not fair. It's not fair. We are entitled to more than those freeloaders are. We have lived a better life. We were there at six. We had our own tools. We worked harder. We brought more to the table. And so we deserve more than those guys deserve. And it's because of their sense of entitlement that they miss out on the celebration that the 5 p.m. crew is having. Because they could have been joyful for these rejects that nobody ever wanted. To see them laughing and smiling, that could have been a really good thing. Their entitlement kept them from rejoicing, kept them from that party. I hope when you hear those voices in that 6 a.m. crew, I hope you hear the older brother in the prodigal story. You hear it? It's the same lesson. It's the same exact lesson Jesus is teaching. Which is important. If Jesus teaches the same lesson more than once, we should probably listen. Because if it's repeated, it must be important, right? Those uh, 5 p.m. guys, they've got something to teach us here in their celebration. Those 6 a.m. guys, they've got something to teach us too. Because a lot of us, if we're honest, fit pretty well into that 6 a.m. category. We're fairly proud of who we are. We think we're pretty good people. We show up with our own tools on time. We do good work. We come from a good place, good family background, like we're good, productive citizens. It's really lost on us very quickly how entitled we are and how so much of what we're proud of is really nothing we've ever earned or done. That it really was, from the day we were born, gifted to us for no good reason beyond the grace of God. You know, it's really easy to slip into that default mode of entitlement whenever life has been pretty good to you for as long as you can remember. For example, you were born in Texas. Does it get any better? <laughs> I'm being facetious, but I'm kind of being realistic. If you're born in America, does it get much better? I don't know. When people are from different countries, you're like, oh, America. But listen, we are comfortable here. Generally speaking, we've got it pretty good, especially in a place like Inner Loop, Houston. So, and you've been relatively comfortable from day one in your life when you've never had, you know, smallpox <laughs> or dysentery like on the Oregon Trail. 
know what I'm saying? <clears throat> Gen Xers are laughing at that one. Uh, that was our game, Oregon Trail. Uh, you get the flu and, you know, the doctor doesn't send over a bottle full of leeches to bleed you. You know what I'm saying? Like, we've had it pretty good relative to other places and times. You've got a good education, maybe a family that loves you. They're crazy, but they, but they love you. You don't have a rival tribe across the bayou threatening to invade your village in the morning and cut your head off, you know, and take your wife and kids as slaves. Like, it's pretty good. But when your life has been a little too easy for a little too long, you kind of start to think it's natural. It's not a decision that's conscious, but it's natural to start to think that you're entitled to the comfortable life that you have. That that's the way it should be. You deserve it because you're a good person. And the only logical conclusion, therefore, is a dangerous one. The only logical conclusion is that those who don't enjoy the same levels of comfort as you do don't deserve them like you do. And therein... Therein lies the problem. That is a slippery slope. And when you mix in religion, you get very complicated. Because then you start to think, maybe the reason your life is so comfortable and you've come to expect these comforts is because God looks after good people like you. And God looks after you in ways that he doesn't. Look after people that are spending their Sunday mornings somewhere else but here. Which seems precisely to be the kind of thinking that Jesus is warning against over and over and over. Be careful, you guys. Be careful not to think this way because this way will lead you to some dark places. He's always laying out the cautionary tale of where that thinking leads. It leads you outside the party. Unable or unwilling or both to celebrate the party that's happening, the party you're invited to. Now, seems to be exactly what Jesus is warning against. So some of us need to hear that, that just because you're a Christian, you go to church, you do your tithing or something like a tithe, maybe not 10%, but 8%, you know, some percent, and you give when you can and you show up when you can and, and you're generally a good person. You're a better person than the people you hang out with are. And hey, that's pretty good, right? And being a, a Christian, you know, it just, it seems like it's this, how many gold stars do I have on my, on my report, on my report card, right? But if you go to the source, it doesn't seem that being a Christian is ever about earning credits to be cashed in at some point. Being a Christian is never about that. It's simply about the privilege of knowing God and the grace of God and knowing that you're forgiven and knowing that you're free. It's just the privilege of knowing God. And so the, the reward of working for God isn't the payday at the end. We're not here to get a ticket punched to heaven. I mean, that's great if it happens, we get to heaven, that's great. But be prepared. When you get there, Judas himself might have the same house Mother Teresa has. And you're going to have to deal with that. If you've got this default in your head that everyone deserves what they deserve, what they've worked for, what they've earned. You don't know what Judas said in the last moment of his life. Some of us have to work very hard to get out of that mindset that working in the vineyard is about getting what we deserve at the end of the day. Because it's really about having a purpose in the vineyard instead of being aimless at the Home Depot. Nobody wants that, right? Salvation is really not about getting what you deserve. At least not in Jesus' worldview. It's not karma, y'all. We don't believe in karma. There's a very big difference 
between the karmic way of looking at things and the gracious way of looking at things. So no one gets what they deserve, right? And you might think, well, that's not fair. But if you think long enough about it, and if you're honest enough about it, if you do the math in your head, you're going to realize that if we got what we deserve, we might not like how that shakes out. Because you might be measuring yourself against the the idiots you hung out with in college. But if you measure yourself against the perfection or holiness of God, who can stand? Who can stand? Who is worthy enough to stand and say, I deserve salvation? No. Salvation isn't about getting what you deserve. Salvation in Christ is realizing you never deserved anything in the first place. And every good thing you've ever enjoyed in life was a free gift of God's grace you didn't deserve, but you got anyway. A free gift, every good thing that you've enjoyed, every random act of kindness you've benefited from, every job you've hated but still got paid for, everything you've done to experience love and joy. It's all about the grace of God. Sometimes even the stuff you complain about. And not just the good, fun stuff, but sometimes the bad stuff can be grace too. I mean, some of y'all got a, a sink full of dishes at home and you're thinking right now, Oh, my God, i got to do the dishes. i got to do the dishes again. Oh, my God. That's such a drag. The dishes. Because you're still in the entitlement frame of mind. The grace-based frame of mind looks at a sink full of dishes and simply says, Oh, my God, I have dishes. I have dishes. Look at the neighbor and the person next to you and say, I have dishes. I, I, Eric Huffman, have dishes, and I have water to wash them with, and my kids don't get typhoid from it, and I have dishes, and it's a wonderful thing, but the stuff we complain about, y'all, the house to clean, the dishes to wash, the clothes to launder, I don't know, the stuff we complain about, it's just, it's just got to sound so entitled to God, who has given us so much. Oh, my God, I've got to go to work. Ugh. Oh, my God, I'm so sick of my car. <laughs> oh, my God, can my Wi-Fi be any slower? Like, you ever listen to yourself? I got all three of those things from, from me. So, <laughs> just so you know. On a more serious note, I've really talked to a lot of people that used to be Christians and no longer are because they were raised in those churches I mentioned earlier where they were told that God was uh, akin to a divine version of Santa Claus and uh, will give them whatever they want if they're good enough. And they've lived pretty good lives. And then somebody they cared about got sick and they asked God to heal them and he didn't. So God must not be real. And they walk away, truly. Happens all the time. And some of the reasons people walk away are uh, a little petty. You know, it's not always like somebody died or whatever. But sometimes it is about something as serious as death or cancer. You know, somebody they love, they love gets cancer. And, and, and they say, God, take away the cancer. And, and, he, and he doesn't, and, and they die. And that's a deep crisis of faith. And I understand it. I'm not belittling that at all. I'm just saying maybe we could, we could afford to have a little bit of perspective as well. Because I, I see that that kind of thinking also is born out of a deeper sense of entitlement sometimes if we say, I told God what to do for me, and he didn't do it. And so he must not be real. Or if he's real, he's a jerk. You know, I hear that all the time, y'all. It's real talk. Like, he really doesn't care. 
The assumption there underneath that statement is we all deserve, I especially deserve to have a long and happy and cancer-free life. And so why don't I? Why doesn't it work that way? Why isn't God at my beck and call? But when you hear a story like Jesus told in the parable of the vineyard workers, and when you listen to the teachings of Jesus, the question shouldn't just be, you know, why do 38% of people get cancer? The question I find more interesting is why don't we all have cancer? You know, like I understand it's real and it's profound and it's awful, and, but, but look, when you come at this life thing from the fact that we never deserved it to begin with, any of it, even death itself is its own kind of grace. Because when someone dies, even someone you love, and please hear this with love in my heart, like someone dies, all it really means is that they had the free gift and joy of life. And you got to love them and they got to love you. And if the promises of Jesus are true, you'll love them again and forever. And what have we done to deserve such a thing? Why are we here at all? Like the question isn't just why do people die? The better, more fascinating question is why do we get to live in the first place? I think Jesus is saying here that the real key to joy, the real key to freedom and salvation is realizing that nobody ever owed you anything, nobody ever uh, um, uh, owed you anything, including God. You're not born entitled to anything. You don't earn anything with the kind of good life you think you're living. And yet, in spite of all that, God has given you everything, and every single thing is grace. So, instead of waking up and complaining and waking up in that entitlement frame of mind, Jesus compels us to wake up in the morning and be grateful by choice. To see the world through his lens, through his perspective, that no one has owed anything, but God has given us everything. And so I have dishes and I have a car and I have a job and I'm alive today. And I'm working for God. I'm in God's vineyard. I'm not at Home Depot. Praise God. I'm alive. And I'm working for God. And I don't care what the paycheck is because I'm alive. And I'm with God. Period. So I rejoice. I think this is what Jesus is telling us. Sometimes the things we take for granted are the most important things to be thankful for. Like worship or communion. Oh, it's Sunday. i got to get up and go to church or Pastor Eric's going to make me feel bad. Geo's going to be in my face. You know, oh, my God. Oh, why do we do communion every week? Oh, my God. It's such a nightmare. You know what I mean? Like, you guys, God himself put on flesh and broke bread with his disciples and said, I'm breaking my body down for you. I'm giving you a cup of salvation so that you will always know you're saved and with me through no earning or work of your own. You're with me. Every time we come to this table, this is what we celebrate. It shouldn't be, oh, which one should we go to? That one over there or that one over there? Which one's further? Oh, my God. Like, no, the body of Christ. Are you kidding me? Can I have seconds? Like, can I just, you know what I'm saying? Like, can, can I have more? It's a privilege. It's a gift. You did nothing to deserve it or earn it. And it's yours because God said it's yours. Just being alive each day is a gift we never deserved, but is ours. A big part of being a disciple following Jesus, I think, is being grateful in all things. Good things and bad things. Fun things and hard things. Waking up each day no matter what and saying thank you. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for every gift that we take for granted. Thank you for every grace and every forgiveness that you have afforded us, even when we have acted so spoiled and soft. Thank you for every act of love that we have ever experienced. It is surely a free gift. Thank you for the breath in our lungs, the gift of life itself. We do love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.